Well, good afternoon, everyone. Continuing on in Colossians, this uh, wonderful letter to the Colossae, chapter 1, verses 9. Now, just to check uh, if you've got notes, there's notes down the back box, purple box down the back if you need them. So we're um, continuing on in the prayer that um, Ray began in the first uh, eight verses. So let's uh, read that through. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in him, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Just last week I was listening to uh, John Kleinig. I don't know if you know him. He's, he was on a Zoom, international Zoom sort of conference thing. And he was saying that uh, in the... Uh, he's done more demonic exorcisms in the last two years that, than uh, he's done probably for his entire ministry. Um, the um, great cosmic struggle is showing its face in our culture. Uh, it's been put away for a while. There's various aspects of uh, Christian life and that spreads into culture that can keep the demons at bay, as it were. And the, the missionaries will tell you how that works, more, uh, probably better than we would. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, we are seeing that. Apparently, in the first 200 years or two through 300 years of the church, to be a pastor, you had to show that you could exercise a demon. So that was the commonplace in the church, post-apostolic church. There was... Um, the ongoing cosmic tumult that was we read right through the scriptures. And uh, this is where Paul is speaking into. He's speaking into the Asiatic region. All of his letters have a specific um, situation. Uh, Colossae and Ephesus are in that Asiatic region. And he's speaking into, uh, into areas where the magic cults were prevalent in the pagan world. And when these people, uh, and by the way, when we talked, uh, Ray talked about the Jewish and the Gentile Christians, um, the Gentiles bringing in the paganism and the Jewish um, people, bringing, uh, teachers bringing in a kind of a lawishness. But, but it's very hard to separate those things. Um, Paul uh, finds it a bit hard to separate them because... Uh, we're going to see that the demonic can get hold of the law, it can get hold of the word, and it can sort of tie us down and wreck our lives and all the rest of it in the law. 
and we can be stretched out out of good earthly living into some sort of weirdo spiritual thing as well with the pagan. So all of that mishmash of culture is happening. And so if I could go to the end of our section to begin with in that, in that light, he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness. That's God the Father has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and tra- transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son or the son of his love in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So God the Father, for these Colossian Christians, he stepped into their lives and he took them and he took them out of a domain of satanic, cultish worship and he transferred them into the kingdom of his beloved son. So there's a regime change that goes on in the life of these people. And they didn't come to it themselves. God did it. The Father did it. The Father came into their lives. And he changed them by putting them into his rule and into his kingdom, into the kingdom of his beloved son, and out of a dominion of darkness and hatred and into a kingdom of love and into a rule of love, not just a sort of an easygoing love that we speak about today but a rule of love and a kingdom of love and in that we have of course redemption and the forgiveness of sins so redemption means that we've been taken out of slavery from that realm and we've been brought into the freedom of a new kingdom and uh, in that we have forgiveness and the word there is ephesus which means to be released from the powers of sin so we're redeemed from this cosmic world of darkness and as we speak today in australia and in the western world we are seeing <coughs> we are seeing the manifestation of these things that paul is speaking into and many of us have not experienced this or really we've we've lived in a certain culture we're watching the decline of christendom uh, the decline of the Western Church. Uh, and in one way, we could get worried about that, but in another way, we shouldn't get worried about it because we're in a season. And this is a season in the kingdom of the beloved Son who is reigning over all of those elements of the cosmos. He's under, he's, they're all under his control. So everything that's happening in our lives is under the lordship of Christ. So um, we need to have a faith that has an understanding of this cosmic realm. So Christ in this uh, gospel that we preach is a cosmic Christ. He is uh, the Lord of heaven and earth. We're going to see how he's the incarnate one and how all of his person as the eternal son uh, is in the flesh and his lordship is in life, in his flesh. He's, he's among us here as we speak. The Lord Jesus is here in the flesh, even though we can't see him. And the spirit is moving and he's doing his work. And that's what we need to believe. That's the substance of our faith. And we need to, we're called by God to believe that. And to look past what we see. And to look past what we feel. Because that's not what it's all about. Paul said that the important things are the unseen things. 
So if you, th- if you go through the scriptures, you'll see that the, the biblical writers have, a, have a, a really interesting understanding of reality right through the Old Testament. Um, uh, there's this, there's the, the, the created cosmos, and in that cosmos that God has created, when we say the word cosmos, it's translated as world in the New Testament, and that can mean either uh, the, the rebellious elements or it can mean the creation in all of its uh, glory with all of its seen and unseen uh, elements within, the, within what God has made. So there's more than meets the eye that's going on as Paul makes very clear in this letter as Christ is in charge of those principalities and powers. We'll talk about this as we go through. Um, but uh, uh, the, in, in the scriptures, there, there, there were, there's two, two things going on. In the Old Testament, there is basically the, the, an understanding of the cosmos as like a double-storied house. And the upper level of the house is the unseen uh, elements of the cosmos. You have all the angels and, the, and the, uh, the celestial beings that we read about in the Old Testament and in the New, uh, they're in the new as well. Uh, but they're unseen. Uh, and then you have the lower story, which is the, the uh, seen part of the creation. And, and in the Old Covenant, God is in the upper story. And, uh, you know, Israel was in the lower story or the, in the seen world. And there was this playing out in the seen world of what is going on in the upper story. So the upper story kind of rules everything. But when Christ came... That all came together. The angels turned up at his, at the, at, at, at his birth and they uh, said glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. And the angels were with the shepherds in the field, praising God. So this has all come together. And this is the world that the Colossians are in, you see. And when the gospel came in verse um, Five. We'll just go back there because of the hope laid up. The um, Ray was talking about the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing. But you can translate that, and it's probably a better translation in the context of caution. But uh, the gospel is bearing fruit in all the cosmos. In all the world, all the seen and unseen world. So when Christ came to the Colossians through that man Epaphras, all he had to do was preach the gospel to them. He was given a word by the Spirit and he preached the gospel. And when he preached that word, the cosmic Christ came to these people and transferred them from the dominion of darkness, from Satan. Paul calls him Belial in second, the second letter to the Corinthians. means worthless one. This worthless cosmic being who is the god of this world, who has all these minions, um, demons, and uh, goodness knows what else, following him around doing all of these dirty work. And they, they, this is what had gripped all the Colossians. And that is what is gripping our culture as we talk today. That is what we're dealing with. 
this letter speaks right into what we're about. Even though it's like Ray said, it's 2,000 years ago. Long time ago. But the same principles apply. And the gospel, when Epaphras preached that gospel, it went right into the cosmos and right into their hearts by the Spirit. And they stopped being people under the dominion of darkness and they became people who loved one another for the first time. Their whole lives were changed by this king of love who turned up. And for the first time in their life, they met a king who was a good king, who ruled in a, in a, in a good way. And goodness means to be beautiful and functional. Nothing can work without hierarchy and authority and order in life, but the authority and hierarchy and order has to be beautiful and good to work well, doesn't it? If you create a vacuum in life, if you throw out all authority, what do they say? Nature abhors a vacuum, is that right? And what fills the vacuum? If you, if you create a vacuum, all the demonic fills it in. That's exactly what goes on. Um, in Hobart, um, I don't know about you heard about the Dark Mofo Festival. Heard about that one? Thousands of people come from all around Australia, around the world, and they march idols down the street. And they sacrifice those idols to get the demonic forces off the back of Australia so that we can have peace. It's a huge... Look it up on the internet. It's a huge thing. And they have these priestesses dressed in purple around these idols and they worship. They bow down and they worship and they pray to the idols in the streets of Hobart. Then they burn the idol and that's a practice of magic like in the ancient world and the people get up afterwards and say well now the demons are off our back and we can live in peace. So that's going on in Australia. So there's all sorts of things going on today and that's the life of the Colossians. Go to Hobart and you'll see what the Colossians were dealing with. Uh, We actually see it sometimes in our homes too. And our marriages and in our churches. Um, So the answer is not to... You see, the answer is quite surprising. When we talk about a cosmic gospel and a cosmic Christ, the answer is... Very surprising. You don't go to a planet and meet an angel on the edge of the Milky Way. You, this Epaphras turns up, this fellow in the flesh, and he speaks to them. And he speaks truth to ordinary people like you and me and their lives are utterly changed by this king that comes in that word. So there's a thing that goes on in the gospel 
We preach the gospel, but it is really Christ speaking himself to us. Okay, so Paul, see, he's thankful for all of this. Paul's thankful for all of these things, as we've said in the first part. Thankful that this great king of love has secured the cosmos. He's secured all of time. He's cleaned up the past. He's secured the future. And it all comes by way of promise from the throne of God in the center of the cosmos. And so there's a great deal to be thankful for. And in this, he goes on and he gives a petition. And um, this petition... Uh, is a prayer of asking God to continue that work that has begun in their lives. And it's important that he's praying because praying means when you pray and you ask God, you are a person of faith because you understand that everything comes from God. God is the creator. All things come from him. Our redemption the breath in our lungs, our forgiveness, the ability to love one another comes through the gift of the creator. And so Paul prays to him. He says, just as you've done all of these things for this church, Father, just as you have secured these Christians in the cosmos, and placed them in your son before your throne and filled, you, filled them with your spirit just and forgiven all of their sins. Just as you've already done that. You notice Paul says, you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You own it. It's yours, he says to them. Then he asks God to keep it going because life is a matter of receiving And you can't give out in life unless there's input. You can't have output unless there's input. And that's just a basic principle of life. And God is always giving input into our lives. And so Paul asked that he would go on. And what is really quite wonderful about these verses is that Paul wants them to love in a certain way. He doesn't want them to get caught up in all the spiritual spiritualities uh, that are going around. So in verse chapter 2, he says, um, no, no one disqualify you insisting, this is 2.18, disqualify you insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. He's saying, I don't want you to go off into that kind of spiritual orbit. I want you to continue to love. And you love in knowledge and wisdom. Uh, They're two very important words. And not just that, he prays that they be filled. They pray that they may be filled with with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So in other words, he's praying that this word of the gospel that has gone out into all the cosmos and has gone deep into their hearts 
would continue by the power of the Spirit to fill them out and to make them truly human beings in God's created order. So he's doing that and he's praying for it. He's praying that they would not be falling back. And we need prayer all the time. You can't live off your revival experiences. If God does give you a vision or a dream, you can't live off the experience. Our life is a life grounded. The Gospels come to them in this man Epaphras, just like that. And how do we live our how do we live all the cosmic realities of God and the Trinity and the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and the working out of all of that plan. How do we live that? We live it out in the flesh. So you live it out with knowledge. You live it out with your mind, all that you are as a human being. And uh, you, you end up coming to God, and he's pray, you, you pray to God, and he prays to God that their minds would be continually, continually renewed. You know, Jesus said, my sheep... My sheep know me and I know them and they listen to my voice. And you, without me, you can do nothing. Without me and my words and my love, you can do nothing. You cannot be fruitful without Christ and his word. So Paul's wanting them to hear this Christ. And you see, this Christ... Uh, is present. I just want to emphasize that. This man, Jesus, who is the Son of God, is present to the church. He doesn't leave his bride. He's one flesh. He's bone of bone and flesh of flesh with his bride, his church, and he stays with her. He doesn't walk away for her. He doesn't head off into heaven and have some and sort of give us some spiritual experience, remote experience of him. He's with us all the time. And the spirit is there to teach us all of these things and to make us with our spirits know that it's true. So uh, Paul says you must grow in knowledge and wisdom. So let's just unpack that business about um, knowledge and wisdom. So there's two types of knowledge, basically. There's know who and there's uh, know what. And wisdom is know how. So if you um, think about the words wisdom and knowledge, there's been a propensity in our modern world to blend those two words together, which is not really a helpful thing. It's actually a process that has begun uh, over many years, probably through the whole thing of Hellenism, the Greek world, which is sort of infiltrated. But Paul's talking about knowledge and wisdom in a distinct way. He's talking about it in terms of biblical um, wisdom, and he's talking knowledge in the way knowledge. So if we talk about wisdom, for example, we tend to think about wisdom as someone who's clever and who has a lot of uh, intellectual knowledge or brilliance. So we just merge the two words together. But knowledge is different from wisdom. Knowledge is know who and know what. And wisdom is know how. And Paul wants, you see, he doesn't want 
a kind of a Gnostic, a kind of a spiritualist knowledge that is not grounded. He wants the, the Colossians to be in that great, great flow of wisdom that's in the scriptures where God is the creator and we are the creatures and his divine life comes into our created life on earth in the seen tangible world and that divine life is played out in our flesh that is wisdom and there are certain things about wisdom we need to talk about but let's talk about uh, knowledge um, so knowledge the, 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 in Proverbs it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom and that's really what we've been talking about. When they came and they met the Lord, they, they came to the fear of the Lord. The Colossians came to that because they met not just a democratically elected cosmic leader, they met the sovereign risen Christ who has ascended at the right hand of the Father. And they met him. And they bowed to him. They feared him. You know, if someone... You see, this Christ... He created the world and he keeps it going. He's the eternal son of God. And if you meet someone who has your very breath in, his, in their hands, you will fear them. If that revelation comes to you, you are in need of their, of their uh, giving to you to be able to survive and to live and to go on being who you are. And God is the creator and his son is the co-creator. Trevor's going to bring all of that out. And when at all, when the creator comes in the gospel, we come to a fear of the Lord and we come to a genuine knowledge and wisdom that comes out of the heavens. It doesn't come from just working it out horizontally. There's a flow of truth that comes from the throne and it comes into our uh, into our lives and and you know as we grow in knowledge we start to discover that there's a there's this amazing uh, process if you like you know we're not just giving a lecture here we're participating in a divine trinitarian action from the throne of god so i'll just show you in revelation one uh, just to show you, this is Paul. Um, you see, the revelation of Jesus Christ, Revelation 1 1 uh, of Jesus Christ, in which God gave him to show his servants the things must, uh, that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. And then if you go to verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. So in other words, you see there's a throne in the cosmos. Chapter 4 of Revelation, there's a throne. And on that throne is the creator of the cosmos. And there's his son at his right hand. And the Father thunders his voice from the throne. And the Son bears witness to that word from the throne. 
and gives, passes that word on. And in fact, he becomes the word. So everything he does is to bear witness to his father. That's what John's gospel is all about. And the spirit is spirating around, revealing this son and revealing the father, opening up our hearts and opening up our minds, making it possible for us to hear. And as God the father speaks and the son bears witness, the spirit empowers us to hear and the spirit teaches us everything that the son is saying and we hear the words of Christ by the agency of the Holy Spirit. So you see, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, knowledge and wisdom. You don't get it from anywhere else. You don't get knowledge. You know, there are many knowledges in the world that are good. God has given the world a lot of freedom, by the way. It's actually fine to get involved with science and philosophy and that there's creational knowledges, if we could put it that way, and you can involve with that. That's fine. It's a, but this is, this is cosmic, glorious, divine knowledge that comes from the throne of God. And what a thing it is for us to come into that. Little old Epaphras, who would have thought? He was probably a dynamic speaker. I don't know what he was like. But they criticised Paul because he was, looked pretty ugly and had no presence about him. But who knows what type of speaker he was like. It didn't matter in the end because the spirit was working. And they saw it. And you see, um, Paul says in Ephesians, he says, God created the world so that the church might proclaim the gospel to the powers in the heavenly realms. Chapter 3 of Ephesians. So that word has come, this knowledge, this is a special, divine, powerful knowledge. And when he talks about the will of God, it talks about this mystery opening up where God from the beginning to the end has planned all of the things that would go on sovereignly in the cosmos. He's planned to redeem his bride, his church, and give this bride to his son. He's planned to have a family. He's planned to bring a new creation in. He's planned to reveal his glory in that he would love sinners and that his love could be truly known because he would keep loving when people hated him. You don't know God. You don't know love if a person just loves you because you're good. You only know love when you hate a person and they keep loving you. That's called grace. And that's what we're immersed in. And this all comes out of the heart of God. And God is planning this thing. This is the knowledge. This is the, the will of God. So he wants them to be full of that will. And so all of that great plan of God in his kingdom comes to the heart of these Colossians as it does to us today. And it changes our thinking. We have a new understanding. And we grow in that understanding. How vast is the mystery of God? There's a whole lifetime for all of us there and we're only just starting to get the drips of the glory 
and the drips of the glory are a great revelation and they change our lives. But we are to increase and grow in this knowledge and our minds are to have understanding. But you see, we're back to our point then. You see, you just can't be an intellectual. You've got to be a wise person and Paul wants them to be wise. Love always ends up in action. So how do you know God? Ask the question, how do you know God? Well, you know God because he's done something for us. He sent his son. He lived and he walked around and he died on a cross. And God raised him from the dead and people saw this in the flesh and they've written about it and their lives were changed because of that. And so powerful was this event that it's still, the truth still rings to our hearts today by the Spirit. So God acts in love. The great plan and will of God, the great knowledge of God, the great choices of his sovereign will are acted out and performed through history in a flesh and blood man called Jesus Christ. And it's there that you meet God in Christ, the man Jesus, who is the Son of God. So you enter into the Trinity through Christ and then you learn to live like Jesus lived, as John says. You learn to walk like Jesus walked with a heart of wisdom, not just knowing everything. Jesus spoke in parables, uh, that's straight out of Proverbs, the wisdom book in the Old Testament. He was a teacher. He gave instruction. He brought the law into the understanding of wisdom. He brought it into filial and fatherly and parental understanding of the law where he would just teach tenderly and gently like a parents would teach their children. He, he brought it all into wisdom because that is how it plays out and this is how the divine life plays out. This is how the great realities of the cosmos plays out in our lives. It plays out in our wisdom, in how we speak to people. It plays out in our minds, where our minds go in the first place, but then that plays out in the way we speak to people and what we do for people. And then you say, well, this is so great, I'm not going to make any difference. Well, that's poppycock. Jesus said a little seed, the kingdom's like a little tiny seed. That is the kingdom. You do little things for people. You start, start with just little tiny things. If you're, if you're blocked up in a situation, you think about it. You apply your mind to it. And you say, well... What does the Lord say about, of all of, about all of this? You get your mind right in the gospel. You do that all the time as a matter of course. And then you do something. You just don't sit there and do nothing. You, live a, you become a wise person. And a wise person works out. You see, we have this wisdoms really in the end. A lot of it is about freedom. God says to Noah, to um, Adam in the garden... You know, you've got to name all the animals. Then he turns up and he says, well, what have you named them? He's just had freedom to name what he wanted. And that's how it is in life. God gives us the tools. He tools our minds up. He gives us tools for wisdom. 
And that has to work out in the way we love people. The truth works out in love. Love has to be connected with truth. And the demonic, the dominion of darkness, which is the demonic, which what we're seeing today is the destruction of truth, which is the destruction of love. So we talk about, we don't talk about truth anymore, but we talk about love, but we talk about love without truth, so we don't have either. So now we destroy our language. We actually destroy the very words that we use. Abortion is reproductive health care. Well, it's neither of those words. I thought um, gay marriage was sort of like something just cancelled each other out into a sort of a nothing statement. But reproductive health care, my goodness. Yeah, incredible, really, what goes on. So here we have it. We have know-how. And Paul is in this letter, is giving the great themes of the gospel. And uh, he's also giving wisdom throughout the book. So he just doesn't pray for them. He gives them instruction and he teaches them. So some of the things about wisdom we need to, to look at. Um, let's get the right page up here so we don't run out of time. So there's a couple of things about wisdom that we'll just talk about very briefly at the end here. Firstly, there's what we might call specific wisdom. And that is what God mandates in our lives. Uh, These are things that God commands us to do. And they're not options, they're mandated. So chapter 3, when we get to chapter 3, we will see that we're participating with Christ in God around the throne and then uh, there are some mandated things to obey. Uh, You know, if you have a house and you don't have house rules, if you don't have non-negotiables in your house, your house will turn to chaos and all the glory goes out of the place. So uh, there's this mandatory aspect of wisdom So as a father, in Proverbs 4, as a father instructs uh, tenderly their children in the way they should go, there's some rules that have to be followed, and Paul makes those rules very clear. So that's the first thing of wisdom, the mandated rules. And we're in a kingdom, remember. We're not in a democracy. God is king, and his son is the son king, and they command us how we should live. And we must do our best to actually... Uh, do that with all of our heart and to please him so Ray said it's not a stick but a carrot it's neither a stick with sharp edges but we're in the pillar of the truth so we need to stay with what God is saying and the other thing is that wisdom involves that more free element within the creation God doesn't tell us exactly what to do with every detail of our life unlike the government today he gives us freedom so you you do the mandatory things and then the rest are what we call adiaphora they're they're up for grabs it doesn't you know people get concerned about how they live but really how we live 
in all the little details of life is 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 freedom you can choose i don't care what brand of toothpaste you use silly example i know but we're free to make a lot of decisions but we're not free we have to believe the gospel and bow down to the kingdom of the gospel submit to god's house rules and please him in those things so in all of that you see this is not just doing as you're told he talks about the power of endurance and patience and joy as ray was saying so all that god is on the throne and his son and the spirit in all of their endurance you think about how god patiently endures with the entire world how patient is god just ask yourself that well he's incredibly patient if you want to if you read the old testament the history of israel what would be the conclusion that god is incredibly patient that is the that's the overwhelming thing that comes through from the old testament israel was incredibly rebellious god is incredibly patient god is incredibly joyful the joy of the life of god and so we seek to please him because his joy has filled our hearts does god you know when god is gracious and loves us he's not you know, he's not someone's not behind his back twisting his arm forcing him to obey a gospel that somehow come to him or he's trying to fix up a mess or something god is by nature joyful and he loves to be gracious and kind and patient and loving to his people and that divine quality those divine qualities of endurance patience and joy come to us from the throne through christ to our hearts so that is um how it works and the culmination is giving thanks once again we have thankfulness thankfulness is a theme that runs through the entire letter so what can we say what can we say if god is for us who can be against us if god has come to us with such a glorious gospel and he's come to us with himself and with the forgiveness of christ the redemption and the forgiveness of sin with a risen ascended christ then what that means for us who are in christ it means that we are indestructible and it's okay to die it's actually good to die it's a good word for the pandemic so we give thanks to god for the great things that he has given to us we join with paul and we ask that he would fill our hearts to receive all that he has for us so go home be wise in the way you live fill your hearts with the knowledge of god and be wise go on work out ways to bless people practically and just to love them and you do start with little things and the kingdom of god is in action if you're having trouble in your marriage go home and do little things for your husband and your wife just do little things of love 
I went to bed last night and my wife just did this little thing. But it was a huge, just a little touch of love for me. And it was a wonderful thing. All of the Lord was in that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today that we stand in a great gospel. We stand in the glories of your kingdom, in the wonders of your glory, Father, in the power and might and grace of your Son, and in the Spirit who somehow cracks through our granite hearts and brings that word and softens them up to hear you speak to us. So, Lord, we pray today that this weekend we would continue. We thank you for Ray's message about the hope that we have. What a glorious thing it is to know that hope. And we do give you thanks today. We join with all the cosmic beings around your throne to bring you praise and worship. We thank you, Father, today that you will glorify your name and that you have been so kind and so generous and so wonderful to incorporate us in all that you're doing. So, Father, we pray that we would be able to speak that word, speak it boldly, even under persecution, and love each other in these days. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.